Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 1-6. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you in a way. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of the world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish strong arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And when, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Good morning. Jonathan to Christ. 
uh, Jonathan reflects, improbable people very often lead others to God. Well, the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, one of the things that strings through the whole book is the idea that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There's lots of reasons for that. We looked at one of them when I was here about a month ago. We're going to look at another one this morning. And that is that power is perfected in weakness because God is gentle. So the Bible reading we're looking at today is the one we just read to us, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 6. It's in the worship folder if you want to follow along. It's on page 9. Uh, here Paul is writing to the, this church in Corinth, and in the, the last few chapters of the book, uh, as he's been saying throughout the book, God's power is made perfect in weakness. Now he's explaining that's the shape of his ministry as a church leader, and that's the shape of all Christian ministry, all the service that God's people do, serving God, serving each other, serving in the world. It's all shaped by God's power being made perfect in weakness. And so Paul here explains his example of gentleness, both so that we can understand his leadership and so that we can follow his example of gentleness. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So here's the introduction to this section, which shows you there are people in the church in Corinth who are misinterpreting Paul's gentleness. They're seeing that he's being gentle and saying, Actually, he's just pretending to be strong. Uh, and how, how do they think Paul does that? Well, he writes these letters that are very strong, but when you meet him in person, he's weak. And so, you know, he's being a hypocrite. He's trying to put on a show. He's trying to manipulate us. He's trying to misrepresent himself. So some people in the church in Christ are saying something like that. Paul goes into more detail a couple of paragraphs later. And so he's not just explaining to give them a good example, he's explaining that some people are misunderstanding what's going on, and the danger is they'll misunderstand Jesus. So Paul wants to explain to them that Christian leadership is supposed to be gentle because God is gentle and because God is powerful. So Paul, how gentle is Paul being here? Well, in confronting this problem, Right, this problem, there are people who are accusing him of uh, presenting a show of being something that he's not. Accusing him of just being the same as the rest of the world who try to present themselves as something they're not. That's a big accusation against uh, the leader who founded their church. How does Paul respond to that? He responds to it very gently. Uh, look what he says. I appeal to you. Verse 2, I beg you. 
And what's, what's the what's the favor he's begging from me for? He's appealing for the rest of verse 2. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. People are misinterpreting his gentleness. And he's so gentle that he begs them to understand it without him having to be less gentle. By this stage, I would have lost my temper. <laughs> I wouldn't be being gentle anymore. I'm being gentle. You're misinterpreting my gentleness. It's time for me to be a lot less gentle. And Paul's saying, no, no, I'm going to keep being gentle. He's begging them to do him a special favour of being convinced without him having to be less gentle. Paul's very capable of being less gentle. He's very capable of being very firm. He's very strong. He's going to talk about that in a couple of sentences' time. But he is desperate for them to not push him to that. He wants to be as gentle as possible. Why? Because that's what Jesus is like. That first sentence, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Because Christ is gentle, all true Christian leadership is gentle. All Christian ministry is supposed to be gentle. How gentle was Jesus? Well, uh, all the Gospels tell us that Jesus turning up in the world was the way that God fulfilled his promise that he would turn up in the world personally. Prepare ye the way of the Lord is one of the Bible verses from the Old Testament that's often quoted. And then Jesus came. How did God come to the world? He was born as a baby, laid in a manger. He grew up to be a carpenter in a backwater province of the Roman Empire. He healed the sick. He spoke in parables. In the end, he was betrayed and executed on false charges. Could anyone other than God imagine God being that gentle? Christian leadership is gentle. Uh, some of you will have heard of Pope Alexander VI. Uh, he was formerly known as Rodrigo de Borgia. He became Pope in 1492. Uh, apparently, he was a likable, cheerful, uh, handsome man. He was intelligent. He appreciated both the arts and the sciences. He appreciated the value of church and the wider society. Uh, apparently, he was so familiar with the Bible that, and I quote, his sermons sparkled with well-chosen verses. He was both a great speaker and also great to talk with in person. And politically, he's been described as capable and cautious. In fact, two of his successors, Pope Sixtus V and Urban VIII, described him as one of the most outstanding popes since the Apostle Peter. Well, apart from the assumption that Peter was a pope, which I don't think is true, uh, it also requires a certain assumption about lots of other behaviors that he engaged in. He bribed his way into power. That was very common of the day, so you might be prepared to overlook that. Uh, 
He was renowned for his open nepotism. So his uh, family members, he openly tried to put them in power, put them in positions where they could acquire wealth, both in church and state politics. Uh, there are, he has been accused of uh, killing some of his rivals. I don't know if that's true. Certainly his vow of celibacy didn't stop him from rivaling several children with his many mistresses. I think everyone today agrees that that is not how Christian leadership is supposed to be. Hypocrisy, selfishness, uh, clutching at power, manipulation. But is Christian leadership just a case of not being too old? Paul seems to have a much stronger view of Christian leadership as gentle, really gentle. Lindsay Brown was the director of the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students from 1991 to 2007, which is personally significant for me because that's the window within which I was a university student. So somewhere in that window, he gave a talk at an event that I heard with a story that I want to relate to you. We're talking nearly 30 years ago, so my, my memory of the details is a little hazy. I hope you'll indulge me. But Lindsay told this story about a friend of his who was from the UK, like he was, and became a missionary in Eastern Europe. And the context was very challenging, but uh, this friend of Lindsay's was a very humble person. And God used that to enable him to do fantastic work. Uh, where many people in Eastern Europe felt very threatened by Christianity, and particularly Protestant Christianity, because they thought it was a way the Western world was trying to take over uh, in the East. Uh, this man was so humble that they just found him completely non-threatening, and so they listened to him. Uh, to the point that, as a public speaker, he really wasn't very inspiring, and he knew it. So whenever possible, he would get other people to come and give the Bible talk for his ministry. But when he couldn't get anybody else, he would do it because he knew the job needed doing. And because he was so loving and humble, people listened to him. And God worked. And God changed him, bringing people to know him through Jesus, saving people from their sin, turning people's lives around, growing people in serving Jesus and serving their community, growing the church. Well, when his time in Eastern Europe finished, he wanted to return to his home, uh, home country at least, and he was looking for employment in Christian work. Uh, if I remember correctly, this was roughly the time period that Lindsay was giving the talk that I listened to, and he said that his friend was having a terrible time trying to find work because, in Lindsay's estimation, he was too gentle. He didn't talk himself up in interviews. He wasn't very impressive as a preacher. In fact, realistically, he wasn't terribly good at what we think of as church leadership skills. But he was very godly, and God had used him very powerfully, and therefore probably would continue to use him. But Lindsay was concerned for his friend. Would that be enough 
for a church in the UK to give him a job. How serious are we about the gentleness of Christian leadership? So what drives Paul's gentleness? What drove Christ's gentleness? Well, it's the twin facts. That God himself is gentle and God himself is powerful. God is gentle, verses 3 and 4, and God is powerful, verses 5 and 6. So, verses 3 and 4, God is gentle by exercising his power through weak people. Verse 3, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So Paul here is the heart of his defence. He's not living the way people in the world opposed to God do. He's not pretending to have power he doesn't have to try and coerce people or manipulate people. On the contrary, he is weak. But the tools he uses are the ones that God works through. He says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So when Paul says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, he's not denying that he has the same weaknesses as all human beings. He's not saying he has incredible power in himself. Rather, the power active in his action is God's power because he's doing things the way God says to do it. So, just like Jesus, uh, Paul's gentleness does not mean that He's got all this power that he feels in himself, that he feels bulletproof, that he feels like he can just, you know, karate chop buildings down, that he feels like there's this power inside him that he can take. No. Uh, back at the start of 2 Corinthians, uh, he talks about the terrible uh, pressure that he's under, uh, beyond his ability to endure. He feels like his life is about to be over. He says he despairs of life. And in the next chapter, from where we are here, he's going to list a bunch of things that describe his sense of weakness. He says, who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't feel tempted? Right? Paul's experience is not that he has this great power that he has to restrain in order to be gentle. No, no, rather God is the one who has the incredible power. And God is gentle by working through Paul's weakness. Although Paul is doing his best to be gentle, I think it's even more important than that, is that Paul is an instrument by which God is gentle. When God spoke to the Israelites at Mount Sinai, it was so terrifying that the Israelites begged Moses 
to ask God not to talk to them anymore. Just give your messages to Moses and he can pass them on. That's how intimidating it was for God to speak to them. And when God spoke to the whole world, God the Son took on flesh and experienced hunger and tiredness and was filled. God was gentle. And similarly, when God spoke to the Corinthian church, he sent Paul, who in many ways was a regular guy, not very impressive at all. Could God have made Paul impressive to them? Yeah, he could. He could have impressed their socks off. He could have just appeared in his glory and impressed the light out of them. That wouldn't have been very helpful for the Corinthians. Instead, God was gentle. So determined to be gentle, he sent, well, just Paul. I don't know if he does anymore, but Sylvester Stallone used to collect rare books. Uh, so Sylvester Stallone, the heavyweight action hero in all those movies. Uh, so he, if you don't mind talking about, he wrote and starred in the Rocky Boxing movies back in the day. Uh, he's still been doing stuff more recently, so he's getting a bit old. So now his movies are about being older, still trying to be an action hero. That's a lot of every movie he makes now, but that, that's, that's good. Anyway, uh, I, I saw on the internet there was an auction where he was selling off these rare books that he collected. Uh, so, for example, he owned the Palmanoff edition of the complete writings of Walt Whitman. This collection, I'm just reading off the internet, right? This collection from 1902 was limited to just 300 sets. And Stallone also had a postcard handwritten by Whitman in 1890. I don't know what any of that means apart from it's rare and impressive. Uh, so that's just one set in a collection of about a thousand books. Uh, so when I when I read this, I imagined Sylvester at home. He finishes working out in his home gym, maybe with a punching bag. Then he takes off his boxing gloves, walks into his library, and puts on a soft white pair of gloves to hand one of the books from his collection. Now I assume that never happened in real life. Surely take a shower first. Uh, I don't even know if he wore white gloves to handle his books. Okay, I'm just imagining. But, but do you get the idea? Sylvester Stallone, who's, who's made a career of being the tough guy, the strong guy, the hardcore guy, the guy that punches harder than anyone else and uh, you know fires the biggest uh, weapons without looking where he's pointing them. And he collects red books. So he's got to keep that in check. So I don't, yeah, I, I imagine him taking off the boxing gloves and putting on the soft white gloves. Well, if you are a normal Christian, you probably feel pretty inadequate to do God's work in the world. I know I do. Some of us find it terrifying to tell other people about Jesus. Some of us find it a struggle just to get up in the morning. Well, Whatever you find challenging about holding Jesus, please remember, you are God's soft white gloves. That's one of the big reasons God doesn't snap his fingers and take away all your struggles and just make you into Superman. He could do that, 
and that he'd be grateful for it. But he's determined to be gentle to the people in your life. Uh, the Christians in your life who you can encourage in continuing to grow in following Jesus, the people who don't yet know Jesus, who need to hear the message of Jesus again, who need to be loved where they're at. God is being gentle with those people by just working in your weaknesses. You remember you are God's soft white gloves. God doesn't make me strong and bulletproof and emotionally invincible and successful. He's powerful enough to do all those things. But he works his power in the world through weakness. Because that's what gentleness is. So Christian leadership is gentle because God is gentle and also because God is powerful. In fact, God is so powerful, he can take every thought captive. Have a look at verses 5 and 6. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So, some people in the church in Corinth are accusing Paul of being weak and just pretending to be strong. And so Paul describes, uh, sorry, Paul responds by describing his next visit to them as siege warfare. He's probably being a bit more dramatic, but they are accusing him of being a wuss and just kind of, you know, not being able to follow through. So he's kind of laying it on thick. And so uh, this isn't the way we conduct wars anymore, but it was the standard way you conducted wars back then. All the cities had walls around them, and so when you wanted to uh, take over a place, you'd go and attack the city, and the people of the city wouldn't just let you. They would close all the gates and you know, try and fight back and see if the place ceased to it. It was the standard way war was done, so they're familiar with the metaphor. Uh, so the way siege warfare worked, you attack the city, uh, obviously, to win you had to break through the high walls and the defences of the city. Then you would uh, capture the people and make them subject to, to your kingdom and probably take some of them away as slaves. And obviously, uh, if people are disobeying the new kingdom, then they get punished. And uh, certainly the leaders of the city who led the resistance would not be left in charge to uh, start an uprising they'd be taken away. And obviously anyone who continued to uh, rebel against the new kingdom after they'd been captured would be toast. So the defences against Paul's ministry, the resistance to Paul's ministry in Corinth, are not high in the sense of physically tall, but they are high in the sense of arrogant in opposing knowing God. Verse 5, he says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Uh, the kingdom Paul is serving is not an earthly kingdom, it's the kingdom of Christ. And so he says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And if people are going to still resist and disobey God, well, verse 6, we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience 
once your obedience is complete. Uh, that sounds like a bit of a, uh, a funny thing to say, uh, at least to us in English. Uh, he says, I'm going to punish the disobedience once your obedience is complete. If their obedience is complete, then there won't be any disobedience left to punish. What does he mean? Well, remember, he's writing to a church, okay? So I think what he means is, uh, once your obedience as a church, as a whole, as a community is complete, if there are any individuals who are not on board with that, who are continuing to disobey, uh, then they'll need to be dealt with in the context of the unity of the whole community. So that, I assume, is the kind of thing he's described previously in the first letter to the Corinthians, where there is a person who's a member of the church who's flagrantly sinning, clearly going against God's ways, and, uh, and unrepentant. And so the church as a whole needs to say to this person, look, you're not following Jesus. You say you're following Jesus, but you clearly aren't. You need to change this. And if they won't listen, you've got to stop treating them like a member of the church because they're not acting like a member of the church. You give them plenty of opportunities to come around, but if they're determined not to act as a Christian, then if they're determined to pretend they're a Christian, the rest of the church has to not, not join in pretending. They say, no, you're not acting like a Christian. I take it that's the kind of punishment he has in mind, uh, which for the whole church to do that, the obedience of the church will need to be full so they can deal with individuals whose obedience needs pulling into line. Okay, so the main thing to notice here is that Paul is engaged in a war of belief, a war of trust, Right? He's not about physical attack or physical defense. He's talking about people's hearts and minds. Right? That's why he says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's what's at stake, is people personally knowing the God who made the universe. That's worth fighting for. But it's not a physical fight. Uh, he says we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Uh, Paul's not saying that all he does is teach. He doesn't say he teaches. He says he takes captive every thought. Obviously, teaching the truth is going to be part of that. But he also prays. He also performs the signs of a true apostle because he was a true apostle. And that's part of the job of a true apostle. Healing people doing those things that Jesus did to validate Jesus' message before we had it written down. Now we've got it written down, you can read all about it. But at its heart, it's a war of belief, a war of trust, a war of relationship. In other words, it's not actually a war. War, when you're trying to convince someone that you love them, that's not war. He's just using the metaphor because of the way they're behaving. But you never make war against someone because you love them. Uh, God is not trying his best to conquer them. God is trying his best not to conquer them. He wants them to turn and understand that he loves them. Uh, and God is ultimately in control of this whole process. He's working his process out. 
he's achieving his purpose. So people like Paul himself, before he turned to follow Jesus, was making war against Jesus and his followers. But God didn't make war back. He graciously turned Paul around to follow Jesus. God is changing people from selfish, arrogant idolaters into kind, humble co-workers. That's what he's doing in my life. That's what God's doing in your life. God is patiently growing his church, holding off on the day of judgment until everyone he has chosen has been reconciled to himself first. And so actual fighting, actual hurting is not the method. Gentleness is the method. Because that's what God is exercising his power to do, and God is powerful enough to do it. How powerful? Well, Paul is aiming to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He doesn't say just take captive every mind. He's not just aiming for every person to submit their mind to Christ. Paul's aiming for every thought in every mind to be submitted to Christ. I don't know about you, that seems, that seems a big ask. But Paul is confident that God is powerful enough to do that. He's not just aiming for every thought to obey Jesus. He's not just aiming for every heart to know God personally. Paul is aiming to get every feeling to know God personally. That's what God's power can do. How are we aiming? How powerful are we expecting God to be? As we pray for each other, as we encourage each other with God's word, as we share our struggles, As we look at our own thoughts and lives and seek to follow Jesus, are we aiming to just get through? Are we aiming for people just to be Christian? Are we aiming to be successful in the eyes of the world? Or are we aiming to take captive every thought for Christ? Are my thoughts about people who hurt me obedient to Christ? Is every thought I have about members of the opposite sex obedient to Christ? Are my feelings about work and recreation feelings in relationship with God? Are my daydreams hopes in Christ? Is my first thought in the morning and my last thought at night about Jesus? God is powerful and his power is aimed at taking every thought captive. I don't know about you, but those are challenging questions for me. So trusting God's power means aiming that high gently, 
as we pray for each other. We don't need to try to pray powerful prayers. The God we pray to is powerful enough. As we encourage each other with God's word, I don't need to try and preach a powerful sermon. God's word is powerful enough. As we share our struggles with each other, we don't need to pretend that we are doing better than we are. Because God works powerfully through weakness. And God loves to do that because he's gentle. We can be God's soft white loves to each other. Well, I wonder if you've seen the movie or read the book, The BFG. Seen a few nods. The BFG stands for the Big Friendly Giant. It's a classic children's book by Roald Dahl. I don't want to give anything away, but it's about a big friendly giant. And there was an excellent movie made recently. Uh, so, in the story, a small girl named Sophie is plucked from her bed in the middle of the night by a giant, and he carries her off to giant country. At first she's terrified, but then she realises he's a big friendly giant. And this giant wants to give children nice dreams because the other giants eat people. Why doesn't he stop the other giants? Because he's the smallest giant. He gets bullied by the other giants. But in the end, it doesn't matter that he's the smallest giant. He's still a giant. He has the strength of a giant. So he knows he needs to be gentle with Sophie. And together, the two of them... Okay, I'm really not going to spell that part. Because that's the end of the story. But they, they change things together. Sophie and the gentle giant. It doesn't matter. Well, Sophie and the runt giant, really. It doesn't matter if you think you are a runt Christian. It doesn't matter if you think you're the least good Christian. It doesn't matter if you think you have no spiritual gifts. That's not true. But even if you think that, it doesn't matter if you think you are the weakest, the least, the smallest Christian. If you're trusting in Jesus, then you have the power of God working in you and through you. So you need to be gentle. And together, we are changing things. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're gentle. You are more powerful than we can imagine, more powerful than we can understand. So we need your gentleness so much. Otherwise, we would just be overwhelmed. Thank you that you're so gentle that in the person of God the Son, you took to yourself a human nature and lived among us and 
lived under the curse of this world, that we brought it, even to the point of being killed to death, that Jesus did deserve in our place. Thank you that you are still gentle with us as you work in our lives, as you strengthen us to keep going on, as you gently grow us to be more like Jesus, and especially as we encourage each other and share Jesus with the world. Please help us to understand when we feel weak, when we struggle, when we find those things difficult, help us to remember that you are being gentle for us, that we are your soft life for us. And so help us to rejoice in your gentleness, even when we can't find it.